0: Reading this morning in the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 13, it's the time before our Lord goes to his great test, the test of Calvary, the test of the cross, the old rugged cross. He sits and meets with his disciples in what is known as the Last Supper. Verse 1, now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had had come forth from God and was going back to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments and, taking a towel he girded himself about. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And so he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you shall understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet, Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head." Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord. And you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, neither is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I know not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. But it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread. Has lifted up his heel against me. From now on I am telling you before it comes to pass. So that when it does occur. You may believe that I am he. Truly, truly I say to you. He who receives whomever I send. Receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. Holy Father, we thank you for your word. We pray now, O God, that you would open our hearts and open our lives to receive what you have to teach us. Many of us are burdened and carry so many issues in our own heart. The noise in our head is very great from the past week of bills unpaid, of stresses in the office and problems in the home. But, O oh, Fathers, we come into your holy presence in the midst of your Shekinah glory. We ask you that you would just release us, that you would just come and be with us in a very powerful way, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that only the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone may be glorified. And grant now that the words of my lips and the thoughts of our hearts may be acceptable unto you, O oh God, our Lord and Savior, for Christ's sake. Amen. These are difficult days for many people. And particularly most difficult is the family going through so many different types of stresses and troubles at our particular time. But in a very deep sense, the family is a microcosm of so much of society. After all, the family is our primary community. But the church, too, is a community. The job place is the community. And so really, in a very deep sense... All human beings deal with community. In fact, in some way, God made man in communion with other persons. And yet many of us have got some kind of impression that you and I can live alone. We can live without family. We can live without the church. We can live without community. It's so important for us to remember that God has made us for himself and created us To live in community, to live in family, to live in the church. Is it not interesting as we look at the Lord Jesus Christ's life himself? He was very God, but yet very man. But when he started his earthly ministry, though he preached to thousands of people, he did choose 12 disciples to be his close community. And in that 12, there was Peter, James, and John, who were his closer community. And of course, on the cross, he spoke to John, the Bible says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Jesus had a very close friend. And yet you and I feel that we can live our life without the sense of community. If our Lord Jesus Christ, during his sojourn here on this earth, had to have community, what do you think about you and me? Could it be the problems we do carry in our life are because we have failed To take advantage of the community that God has provided for us. The church he's put us into. The family he's given to us. The friends he has provided for us. It is my conviction that for the Christian, God always provides a community. A local church. A fellowship. Friends. Others to be close to. But yet, because many times of our own arrogance and issues of denial, we withdraw and do not take advantage of the people that God provides for us. And so as we come to the Last Supper, we see a beautiful example of community, a beautiful example of the church, a beautiful example of the family. And we see Christ spending time just before he goes to that most trying time and he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Prior to going to this tremendous test, he meets with his small community. And so in this process, then, we go through ten points or ten principles which characterize community life, which should characterize our church life, which should characterize our family life, living in community. In verse 1, it says, and he loved them unto the end. The first building block of any community, of any church, of course, is love. He loved them to the uttermost. We forget so often about God's love. But have you not thought recently that it's only because of God's love you are who you are? The love of God so great so far. Do you realize the only thing you have in life to hold on to is God's love? Of course you recognized it when you became a Christian, but you've forgotten about it. You've heard the songs, you've even sung about it. But I just pray that the Holy Spirit of God right now can grasp you afresh to help you realize that God loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. And so at verse 1 it says, and he loved them to the uttermost. What a tremendous challenge for us that God loves me even to the uttermost. In the midst of my failure this morning, God loves me. In the midst of my broken home, God loves me. In the midst of my sort of disrupted church experience, God loves me. In the midst of my broken world, my broken life, God loves me. Carl Barth was asked, what was his theology once? And he said simply this, Jesus loves me, this I know. You see, the universe has become unfriendly to many people. Life seems absurd the drug problem, the crime problem, the economic problems. And you're right. Life is crazy without understanding the meaning of God's love. He loved us and gave himself for us. Be still and know that I am God. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Fear thou not, for I am with you. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed. Picasso, just before he died at his 85th birthday, he said, really, I failed. Because, you see, when I started my life earlier, I made a kind of trice with God. I had a little sister who was sick. And I told God if he would save her life, I would give him my talent and serve him. But my little sister died, and therefore I became angry at God. And to me, he said, life is nothing but a big frog pond which is dirty and mucky. And this darkness over it. And he said, all through my life, I painted because I wanted to bring the absolute into that frog pond. But he said, at 85 years I failed. I could not bring the absolute into the frog pond. Oh, would it be nice for Brother Picasso to hear the words of Christ? You see, Picasso, you can't bring the absolute into the frog pond. God, the absolute, has come into our frog pond in the fullness of time. Because of God's love, the Christ, his very best, his only begotten son, came into the frog pond of my life. Came into the frog pond of your life. Came into the frog pond of our life. And lived with us so that we can see the glory of God. Yes, love is the building block of community. Love is the building block of our church life. Love is the building block of our family life. Love is the building block of our life. But then Scott Peck in his book, The Road Less Travel, gave an interesting definition of love. He says, love is the will to extend the self for the nurture of one's and the other's spiritual growth. Now that's very interesting. Love is the will. So often we think of love as a feeling, that coochie-coochie butterfly feeling. But no, love is a decision. Love is the will. God will to love you. And so in our own life, let us be very careful as we serve God by looking at our feelings. Sometimes you won't feel that God loves you. Sometimes you won't feel you love your brother or your sister or your wife or your children. But love is a decision. It's the will. God chose to love us and move toward us. But it's really extending ourselves. Love means going beyond where we are. The Christ was in heaven. But in the fullness of time, he extended himself. He came down. And so we too in our own life, if we're going to know love, the love of God, the love of each other, we have to be willing to extend ourselves. And then finally, love produces spiritual growth. So often in the Bahamas now, love is getting a big car, going to Disney World, having a bigger house. But the true test of love in our life is the development of spiritual values, meaning peace. Joy, forgiveness, compassion. God's love always stimulates spiritual growth. And it seems to me at this particular time in our culture, we need to re-grasp the meaning of God's love. It's almost like this. I'm here and you're there. And at the apex of our relationship, there's God's love. The problem in our civilization is God's love is forgotten and we're trying to be here and we're fighting. We're fighting in the church. We're fighting in the family. We're fighting in the society. What God is saying, I love you. I love you to the uttermost. It means when I have problems with you, when you and I cannot agree, because we can look up in prayer to God's love, he holds us together. There's no other way to be married today. There is no other way. There's no other way for a church to grow and be meaningful in society unless God will. There's no other way to live unless you can recognize the meaning of God's love at the apex of your life. But then secondly, the importance of communion. The Christ was sitting, having supper with his disciples. What a beautiful sight. You see, you can't have community without communion, without communication. And communion requires a space, it requires a place, and it requires time. For you to get to know me, we have to spend time together. We need a space. We need a place. And so the Christ was meeting with his disciples. We need communion among us. Have you reached out to somebody this week? Will you go home alone for Sunday dinner and not invite someone? Could it be the Christ comes to you and that other person? Because after all, the Bible says some of entertain angels unawares. Could it be we're lacking in communion? I'm surprised that the good old Sunday dinner is starting to lack in the Bahamas. Remember those days? But that's a time the whole family sat down together. But you see, a meal, a Christian is not just a meal. A meal is only a symbol of God's grace to us. Could you have communion today without opening the Word of God at the end of the meal and asking God to speak to you? Then as you've eaten the physical food to say, Lord, I also need the spiritual food. Daddy, Will you pray with the family after the meal today? Would you read a Christian story or a Bible story? You see, you can't build community without those good old Bible stories. The good Samaritan, the prodigal son. A lot of our kids don't even know them. A lot of people don't even teach them in Sunday school anymore. But you see, the kids need some information. And it's only through communion. Father with child. Mother with child. Husband with wife. Single with single. Each with the other communion, black and white, or us beige people.
1: <laughs> you know, you know. it's
0: like, yeah, beige is in. Works best for me. But <coughs> I always get myself in trouble. <laughs> anyway, the point I'm making is this, that we need to come together, old and young, black and white, rich and poor. It's in communion. As the Christ sat with his disciples, so he calls us to sit with him. Do you realize Christ has provided a communion table for you? And one of the reasons we can't commune with each other is because we're not communing with Christ. Do you have a place and a space and a time to meet with your Lord? Sure, it's great to come to the church, and do come. But you see, God has called you to a special communion place for you. Does your kid know that you have a communion time with your Lord? Does your wife know? Does your husband know? Let's stop playing Christianity. The Bahamas is filled with that. We need the reality of God's presence in our midst. We're in for some rough times. We piggyback on the states. Friends from Connecticut this week says things are so terrible that people are just walking away from their mortgages. Tough times are coming. The world could explode in the Middle East in a matter of days. We don't know. We need communion with God. That's all we have. And we do ourselves a tremendous disservice if we refuse to spend time at the communion spot with our Lord. But then thirdly, and this always makes me sad, in the midst of that beautiful environment with the Lord and his disciples, the Bible says there was Judas, and the devil had entered into the heart of Judas to betray the Lord. Wherever there is communion, wherever there is community, wherever there is a church, Wherever there's a family, there's going to be resistance. That's part of the human condition. In all our love, there is hate. In all our humility, there is pride. But notice something very powerful. Even though Judas was going to betray our Lord, he did not allow allow the problem of resistance to destroy the communion. So often in the church we focus on our problems. He doesn't like me. That's normal. You can't expect everybody to like you. In fact, if you, everybody likes you, you've got a problem. Because who pleases everybody is not doing anything. You know, a dead person. There's always resistance with community. We need to grow beyond that to realize, yes, you can disagree with me. But yes, in Christ's name, I can come to you because God is at the apex of our triangle. And if we're going to build this local church, we need to recognize that you have a right to disagree with me. But in God's name, let us come together and still have communion. Jesus didn't stop the communion feast. He let Judas be. He was saying, Judas, the Lord is greater than even your denial. But notice, the devil entered into the heart of Judas. We've forgotten about the heart. Freud didn't like the word heart, so he called it psyche. That's why we call called psychiatrists. You know, we'd have been cardiologists. <laughs> Boy, a psychiatrist is a well, doctor who's scared of blood, so I, it's a good thing we aren't. But the point is that it meant that the devil entered into the psyche of Judas. In fact, the Christ, the Bible says, guard your heart. Because out of it comes the issues of life. Within your heart today there's murder and there's hate. But that's where the spirit of God lives within you. And yet many of us as Christians are careless with our heart. Be careful the thoughts you have. Be careful what you allow your mind to feast on. Because that's your heart. And it's my conviction that many times we get fed up. We get angry. We don't deal with our anger. And that anger goes to bitterness. And in the bitterness, that's when the devil takes over our heart. Remember King Saul? He was jealous of David, became angry at David. He didn't deal with it, became bitter. And then the Bible says the evil spirit came into him. What about your heart this morning? You see, God deals with the heart. I can't see it. You know about it. But the Bible says the devil entered into the heart of Judas. And some of us have become so angry. We become so bitter. That in the process we become kind of a growing place for evil thoughts. And even the Satan himself. May God give us grace to recognize what he's trying to tell us. Watch your heart, dear Christian. One of the tragedies of the Western world is we're now finding that people's hearts close after a while. Even though people are alive, they're living corpses. I mean, Christians whose hearts are closed. Angry and bitter. And they can be as spiteful as anybody else. They can gossip as anybody else. Why? Because their heart is closed. Beware of your heart. Tell your secret. A closed heart always leads to a closed heart. Mothers, your heart is closed. You will pass on a closed heart to your kid. Daddy, if you've got a bitter heart, you're going to pass on a bitter heart to your kid. And they will pass it on to their kids as well. We see kids growing up with closed hearts. Oh, may God give us grace, as the Bible says, to guard our hearts. Because out of it comes the issue of life. That little song, into my heart, into my heart. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Take away all the dross, all the bitterness, all the anger. Let it go and let Jesus be Lord in your heart today. But then, fourthly, in the midst of that beautiful meal, we see something very mysterious and very powerful. We see the Christ, the very God, standing up. And he starts to take off his garment. And he takes off his garment and he wraps himself in a towel. The garb of a slave. The garb of an inferior one. You see, Christ was willing to take off his garments and to wrap himself in a towel. The symbol of humility. The meaning of divestiture. The problem among us is many of us can't take off our garments. We have the garment of education. you We have education. <laughs> and it just keeps distance. We have the garment of we have the right doctrine. We're right, you know. We do it the right way. Every Sunday we do it. The garment of I am better than you, you know. You messed up. The garment of I am a better family. The garment of a particular race. And all these garments pile upon us. And create distance and distance in our own life. Distance in our family life. Distance with our children. And distance within the church of the living God. The Christ took off his garments. And wrapped himself in a towel. We need to divest this morning. Drop some of those garments. Education is good. But let it be used for the Lord. Not to separate. Sure, it's great you have the right doctrine. Praise God. Thank God for you. But don't let it be used to separate you from me. Divestiture. A few years ago in Boston, working with a beautiful girl to become a cocaine addict. And her dad was a great doctor, very famous, and he died. He said, Dr. Allen, I only knew my father as a great doctor. I never knew him as a daddy. You see. We can go home and keep on those same garments. The great doctor. The great pastor. The great businessman. But your kids will tell you where you're at. I knew him as a great doctor. But he was never my daddy. He couldn't get his clothes on. He couldn't take his garments on. What do your kids say about you? Can you divest? The Lord Jesus Christ, the very God. In the quietness of that meal, took off his garments and wrapped himself in a towel. Fifth principle: the principle of simplicity. At that point, the Christ takes a basin and water. So many of us, in order to have community or family or even church life, we need something really special, something very complex. We got to have a when we say, "I must have a BMW." No, no, you want a BMW, you don't need a BMW. But we've got into that. We made life very complex. We must do this and do that and the next thing. But the Christ, when he was going to serve and show love to his disciples, took something very simple, a basin and water. And Many of us have become so complex, we leave the simplistic and go for the complex. We must go for that trip. We must travel there and there in the next place. The St. Francis says, when you've heard the voice of God, You don't have to travel far to here. Just stay where you are and start loving. Oh, God, give us grace. Could you go into your home this morning? Could you go into your home this afternoon and recognize the simple things? Good morning. How are you? Thank you very much for what you did. That phone call I just called to say I love you. That hospital visit. That visit in prison. You see, life revolves around the simple things. But we've got so busy and so complex that ignore the simple and move to the complex. The Christ took the simple things a basin and water. Sixthly, we see the real mystery of godliness. The sixth principle of service Christ wrapped in a towel with a simple basin and water. He gets down on his knees and he starts to wash his disciples' feet. In those days, they didn't wear shoes like we wear, they wore sandals. Imagine the dirt, the toe jam, the smell. But that's where your God was, on his knees, washing his disciples' feet. God loves me. God loves you. He's been trying to wash your feet this week. Did you let him? You see, a lot of us have walked in places we never dreamt we'd have to walk. In fact, some sitting here this morning have been places they never dreamt they would have to go. A lot of our kids have taken us places we never dreamt we'd have to go. But we've had to go there. And so in the church today, in the family today, many of our feet are tired, are blistered, and are hurting. And they need washing. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Could you wash your brother's feet? Could you wash your neighbor's feet? Could you wash your wife's feet? Could you wash your husband's feet? Could you wash your child's feet? But notice this, the Bible says after he washed them, he took the towel and was girded up with, and he dried them. He completed the job. A lot of us get down to wash, but we just throw the water on and get up. That's the way I clean dishes, my wife says. But the point is, the Christ, he washed his disciples' feet, and he took a towel and dried them. You see, a lot of us kneel down to wash somebody's, other's feet. But we kneel as we're standing up, looking down. I'm sorry as you, but I'm guiding me. Not the Christ. He knelt down below, humble. And after he washed, he took the towel and dried. That's the meaning of the local church. Learning to wash each other's feet. That's the meaning of family life today. Learning to wash each other's feet. Oh, may God give us grace to recognize the importance of serving each other. In fact, the Christ said, he is the greatest among you. Who is what? The servant of all. Call to leadership is the call to servanthood. Call to family life is the call to servanthood. Call to single blessedness, and I love that, is the call to servanthood. We've been called. Principle number seven, willingness to receive. When he came to Peter, Peter, of course, said, no, 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 I can't have you washing my feet. And yet Peter is like us so often, particularly us men. We love to give, but we find it very hard to receive. Have you said thank you to your family this week? Thank you to your secretary? Can you let somebody help you? Or must you always be the helper? Care is a two-way street. The Christ gives to us. Many of us refuse to confess our sin. Yet the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But because we have that Peter part of us, we find it hard to receive. Many of us would destroy our families rather than say, Lord, have mercy, forgive me, I confess my sin, and I receive your forgiveness. God loves you. He tells Peter, if I can't wash your feet, you don't belong to me. And of course, Peter said, then wash all of me. The issue is that even though we're Christians, we need our feet washed. Even though we know the Lord, we need forgiveness and God's grace and healing in our lives. Principle number eight. Jesus said, I leave you an example. If I, your Lord and Master, wash your feet, go now and wash each other's feet. In the Bahamas today, we need examples. In the church today, we need examples. In the family today, we need examples. We live through examples, you see, because models are those who are around us who we internalize day in and day out, and they give us strength to go on. Your mother... She may be dead and gone, but her model stays with you. That elder, I think of the little man who used to be at the door, a little quiet fellow. Years ago when I came from Boston, I met him. He had a beautiful handshake. He's gone now, but his example stays there. You see, we live by taking in the examples of others. What do people get when they take you in? Do they get indigestion? Or do they get a sense of fulfillment? Jesus says, I leave you an example, a model. Jesus calls us to be modeled. Forget the noise in the marketplace. Don't expect everybody to like you. But for God's sake, let us be an example that God has called us to. Stand alone if you have to. But that's okay. Be a model for Christ because that's the example he's given us. And throughout history, the individual example has been that which has changed the life of many people. And God is calling examples in the church today, calling examples in family life today, calling examples in the meaning of community. Principle number nine, Jesus said if you do these things, you will be blessed. The same word for blessing means happy. So often in our life today, happiness has become a feeling, but not in a Christian sense. So often it's the old hippie way, I feel high, therefore I'm good. That's what caused the drug problem. Happiness to a Christian, Jesus says, if you do these things, if you serve, if you be an example, you'll be blessed. You'll be happy. It comes from the old Greek word eudemia, which in essence simply means the intending to do the good, the good spirit. May God give us the grace to realize by serving each other, he then blesses us. Finally, transcendence. Jesus said, when you receive someone whom I send, remember you are receiving me. What a different church you would be if everybody received each other in the name of Jesus. When David Allen comes, it's not David, it's Jesus coming to me. What would happen if you received your wife today as Jesus coming to you? What would happen if you received your husband as Jesus coming to you? What would happen today if you looked at your child and recognized that Jesus is coming to you? We need transcendence. To recognize that I am more than I am because I'm in the image of God and God loves me. My wife is more than she is because she's in the image of God and God loves her. And as a Christian, the Christ comes through her. Oh, may God give us the grace to recognize the importance of transcendence. As we see the beautiful Bahamian Sea, the sea is not just a sea. It's just a picture of God's transcendence saying, I love you. The call to the mission field of your own life is not some strange call. God has called you there to your marriage, to your life, to your job. Be there and let his transcending power take over and understand the victory. And so as we look at these ten principles, at the apex of it all is God's love. God loved me and gave himself for me. And Jesus said, as my father has sent me so send I.